What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. I'm your host, Santa Neuer, coming at you on a Thursday morning on November 10th. I do not have a beer. I did not have time this week. It's, no, it's 9 in the morning, so it doesn't really feel right. I was going to do my podcast last night, but after the Wolves game, I had absolutely no, like, I was just mentally exhausted from watching them. And I think a lot of you could probably understand because I'm guessing 99.9% of you guys are. But in today's episode, I'm going to touch briefly on the Wolves. I'm going to then recap the Commanders-Vikings game and preview the upcoming matchup against the Buffalo Bills. I'll then close things off talking about the Twins bullpen and their outlook for 2023. So let's talk some Minnesota sports. Today's episode is brought to you by Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty. The real estate economy right now is crazy, and it's the perfect time to sell your house. Whether you're looking to sell, invest in real estate, or find your next dream home, then Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty is your guy. Eric is committed to bringing you an experience that goes beyond just buying or selling a home. If that sounds like you, give Eric Molsather a call at 651-357-6528 or email him at eric.molsather at cbrealty.com. That's eric with a K dot M-O-L-S-A-T-H-E-R at cbrealty.com. And tell him Andrew sent you. All right, I'm just going to briefly talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves because quite frankly, I don't want to talk about them. I was going to do my podcast last night, like I said. Um, They've just kind of really mentally drained me, so talking about them right now isn't in my like best interest and I don't even feel like it's in anyone's best interest to really want to talk about what's going on because we see what's going on and there's not really much to discuss other than they don't play with any energy they don't play with any effort they're not making shots defensively they're they're not playing sound defense they're giving up a lot of threes they do rank like fourth or fifth or whatever in two point giving up two pointers so that's good at least at least they're not giving up any two point shots but giving up threes and allowing that makes sense on paper but when the team consistently hits threes after threes you're digging yourself in a hole and honestly i think it's more of a it drains more out of the team seeing another three fall than versus just a fadeaway or a floating jumper like when a team consistently hit threes, it really kind of brings this team down mentally, I believe. So defensively, they're not playing well. Energy is not there. D'Angelo Russell looks awful. Anthony Edwards, I don't want to start the conversation. I think I've been thinking about it. To be quite clear, I do not want to trade Anthony Edwards. I have not even gotten close to wanting to. But it's something I've thought about in my head of, what would a trade look like and what would happen because he doesn't really seem like he wants to play basketball. And I know all the things going into the draft was, yeah, I'd rather be playing football, but I do believe he made, he believes he made the right decision. It's just kind of frustrating to see your number one pick take place off and just not show up when he feels like it. It's kind of a, and Andrew Wiggins is my favorite player, but Andrew Wiggins did the same exact thing in Minnesota. And I don't know what it is, but something is going on with Edwards where he just doesn't want to show up. And he's, I know he made comments saying, yeah, my shots just aren't falling. It's going to happen. It will, 
I will be making shots soon, but he's been a lot of talk this season and not a lot of actions. So we'll see what goes with that. But right now the team just doesn't look like they want to play basketball. They're turning the ball over. It's just ugly. And I think I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't really see the reason to dive any further when and give them the effort when they're not even giving us any effort back. So it's kind of a two way street. And I know like my job here is to talk about Minnesota sports, but just mentally, I do not want to talk about basketball. I don't want to talk about basketball or the Timberwolves because it's really, really draining me right now. So let's move on to the Minnesota Vikings, an actual good team in Minnesota. Let's recap the commanders game. The Vikings defense honestly was elite. And I wrote an article uh, the other week or the other day. I'm just going to pull it up because I just want to pull up some quick statistics that I had in that article. But the, the Minnesota Vikings, if you can, if want to read it, go check it out at Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. I also tweeted it at Let's Talk Vikes. But when I tweeted it and when I wrote the article, the basis was that the Minnesota Vikings were patient with Ed Donatel and it's paying off. And we're seeing the Vikings defense. It started off really poor. And now it's really starting to ramp up again. Like week one, obviously they did really well against the Green Bay Packers. And then those two through five where they played the Eagles, the Lions, the Saints, and the Bears. Let's face it, they were not they were not good defensively. However, in the last three weeks, the Vikings defense has been one of the best in the NFL. Uh, they're giving up 19.7 points per game, which is 10th. I just want to reiterate, this is the last three games. So uh, against the Dolphins, Cardinals, and Commanders, bonus points, 19.7, 10th. Passing yards, it is at 269.3, which is 29th in the NFL, which isn't great. But all things considered, I don't feel like many quarterbacks have had that much success passing the ball. And then if you look at the rushing yards, they're giving up 96.0. That's 7th. Opponent third down conversions, 3.7. That ranks second in the NFL. And takeaways is at 2.3, which is tied for first with the Philadelphia Eagles. So they're getting to the quarterback. They're making plays happen. They're putting pressure on. They're causing turnovers. They're wreaking havoc. Like This Minnesota Vikings defense has been elite, and it's been really fun to watch. And we knew it was, only, it was a matter of time. Like Things take time, and that's what we've been preaching with the Minnesota Timberwolves. But like... The Vikings are actually showing it on the field versus the Timberwolves. Zadarius Smith has been great. Harrison Smith has three interceptions in his last three games. Like, this team is playing so well. Patrick Peterson has turned back the clock. They lost Cam Dantzler, but, like, there's a lot to be excited about defensively because before it was always like, we have to rely on the offense, and if we can score 35 points or whatever, we have a really good shot of winning. Now it's like, it's almost the other way around where the defense is playing so well and the offense is struggling. I do believe the offense will get back on track. They're just too good offensively with Dalvin cook, Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson. But I really just want to emphasize the defense there gave up 17 points and really the seven, they, it should really be 10 points because that one touchdown was on the ref for basically blocking cam Bynum. That would have been an interception. No doubt about it. But the Vikings defense kept them in the game when the offense quite frankly, wasn't rolling. And they only gave up three points at halftime. The commanders led the time of possession by a minute and a half. They got one turnover, but it was a key turnover. That was a Harrison Smith turnover. The commanders were also three of 10 on third down and 0 for 1 on fourth down. They gave up 263 
total yards. They made Taylor Heineke earn it that day. They also had three sacks, two by Daniel Hunter. It was it was really impressive, honestly. Like I don't know what else to say other than like it was really fun to watch because they for as much as the Vikings offense was bad, they gave the commanders I don't know how many chances to score. And they couldn't give that to them. And the commanders couldn't score because the Vikings defense was playing that well. And Taylor Heineke is a guy who will lay it all on the line for every game. He plays like it's his last game. He plays with 100% effort. It's fun to watch him play, but sometimes it comes back to bite him in the ass, and we kind of saw that last week. Offensively, I kind of just briefly said like the offense was shaky. They couldn't get anything on the ground. Cook only had 47 yards on 17 attempts, which, which is only 2.9 yards per carry. The interior offensive line, it was really, really, really bad. And I tweeted out, uh, I just want to get the exact number, but Ezra Cleveland had just an awful day. Yeah, okay. So Ezra Cleveland had a pass blocking grade of zero and gave up nine pressures, according to PFF. I honestly didn't even know that was even possible to get a zero grade. It's impressive. I, I honestly don't know. Like, should I be impressed? Because, I mean, a zero pass blocking grade is really, it's wild. The Like, Garrett Bradbury, like, we saw what happened when they put in the backup, uh, Schlotman. And immediately you could see what the difference is between Garrett Bradbury and the backup, which also puts... Like Garrett Bradbury isn't good, but we're really seeing like what would happen if they moved him for a different center. Again, if you had to, if you honestly, there's way better centers in the league. If you found one of those, obviously you're going to be a lot better. But putting in a backup, a person who's backing up Garrett Bradbury is probably not good because Bradbury is probably on the lower half of centers in the league. So offensive interior offensive line was bad. Justin Jefferson, however, was not. Seven catches, 115 yards, one touchdown. He could have had more, but I mean, sounds like homerism, but he was held on a lot of plays when they were throwing to him. Could have been had a lot more pass interference calls, but whatever. The Vikings won. Justin Jefferson had a day, but what a def- what a difference TJ Hawkinson can make. I don't, honestly don't want to talk too far into Justin Jefferson and Hawkinson because I will be talking about that later. And the MVP underrated probably gave it away, but it's such a difference, honestly, having a tight end who can catch because it opens up the door for Justin Jefferson and other players on the field. I don't want to go too deeply because I want to talk about that later in the podcast. So let's just preview the Bills game because we know what happened. We saw, we watched the game. We know what happened. It's Thursday. You guys have seen all the different articles. You guys have heard different podcasts. You've heard it by now. So let's preview the game. Is it going to be Josh Allen or Case Keenum? That's the million dollar question. And right now, I think that Josh Allen will play. But if I was the Buffalo Bills, I would say he shouldn't play because it's almost a lock that they're going to make the playoffs unless something like drastically happens where they don't win like any more games, which would be really hard because the Buffalo Bills are still a really good team without Josh Allen. But my guess is he plays. Ian Rappaport uh, tweeted out the other day that he sprained his elbow. It's a UCLA injury that will limit him 
this week. It's no sure bet that he plays, but I kind of feel like he will for some reason. I don't know why. It's just a weird feeling I have. Hopefully, to be honest, I hope he plays because I want to have the test because I'm tired of the media constantly being like, well, we haven't played anyone. And if the Vikings, but honestly, though, if the Vikings do win this game, the the media will be like, well, the Vikings won, but we're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills and say, is Josh Allen seriously hurt? Like, they'll blame that he was hurt, and that's why the Vikings won. So who knows if I really actually want him to play or not. But Case Keenum would be the backup. We know Case Keenum. We know the game he plays. Don't need to go in depth about how he plays the game of football. We watch him play in a Vikings uniform. A lot of love for Case Keenum. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be weird to see Case Keenum thrown to, uh, to Stephon Diggs, but that's where we're at in week 10. Buffalo is a great defense. They have a really good linebacker group that can cover, stop the run, pass rush. It's an elite level group. So the Vikings will have a tough time kind of like getting anything going if that linebacker group is sitting right there. They, I mean, like like I said, the the Buffalo Bills have a really good defense where, like, in other weeks I've said, like, hey, like, Arizona gives up a lot of passing yards, but they don't give up a lot on the run. Buffalo is stopping the run at the rank six in the NFL. They're giving up 104.9 yards per game. Although in their last three games, they rank 27. They're giving up 150, and some of that is due to injuries. They did lose Greg Rousseau for he's week to week right now. So I don't think he'll be playing this week. Jordan Poyer is also week to week, but I'm going to get to that in the past here. So Dalvin cook, the, the way the, the way the run game has been, it's been really hit or miss this season. So I'm not really sure if you can rely on Dalvin cook this game, but if you get up to an early lead, I think you kind of want to lean on the run game and Alexander Madison, get Madison going. He has not really been himself this year. Moving on, Buffalo ranks seventh in stopping the pass. They're giving him 194.8. And like I said, Jordan Poyer is week to week. And if he doesn't play, that would be a huge blow to the Buffalo Bills. He has four interceptions on the season, which is one of the, it's like tied for one of the best in the NFL. You got to watch out for Von Miller. He's streaky, but he still plays at a high level. Christian Derrissaw is going to be matched up against Von Miller, and Christian Derrissaw has yet to give up a sack. I'm like 99% sure. Von Miller has seven, one of the best in the league. So it'll be it's going to be a really fun matchup. I'll probably be watching that a lot because I want to see how Christian Derrissaw matches up against a future Hall of Fame defensive end player. I am nervous, though, for Ezra Cleveland. Like I said, gave up nine pressures, had a zero block rate. He's going to be going up against Ed Oliver, who is a big body guy, very strong, very physical, really good player. And last week I talked about like it's going to be Montez Sweat and Jonathan Allen. Montez Sweat didn't really impact the game because Christian Derrissaw. Jonathan Allen, however, did. And I think that's going to be really similar here with Ed Oliver, just another defensive tackle that is going to be going at him. So that is like my biggest concern with the Buffalo pass defense because I do think that Ed Oliver will get a sack or two and Cleveland will be giving up a couple pressures. There's just a lot of similarities in the two players where it's going to be really interesting to watch. Like I said, Greg Rousseau is out. He's week to week. I'm 99% sure he's not going to play. And in turn, though, AJ 
I mean, they have other good players. Like, let's face it, they have AJ Ep- Epinesa from Iowa. He's their other rush guy. He's good at pass rushing. He's kind of mid at stopping the run, but he will be facing Brian O'Neill. So if his own, if his greatest asset to the team is pass rush, you have to feel good about the Vikings' chances. Like, so Von Miller and AJ Epinesa will be basically almost eliminated because I do believe, I mean, they're one of the better tackles in the NFL. They can stop them. It's just whether or not the Vikings can hold up against the Buffalo Bills defensive tackles, especially Ed Oliver. If I were the, if I was Kirk Cousins, I would be targeting Kair Alam. He's a rookie corner from Florida. I talked about Kair Alam a lot in the pre-draft process. I was the guy that I kind of wanted the Vikings to draft. He's playing really well, actually, this season. Two interceptions. He's given up a passer rating of 85.8. He looks impressive. And I'm actually kind of, I'm really excited to watch him play against this Vikings defense. I don't know who he's going to match up against. I'd almost guess that it's going to be Adam Thielen. Because Dane Jackson has been solid this year for them. And I believe they would rather put a veteran guy on Justin Jefferson versus a rookie corner against arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL. No slight to Adam Thielen. He's a great receiver slowing down a little bit and Adam Thielen has the IQ to kind of outplay him, but it's not an easy task. Like Kair Alam has played really well and it's impressive to see a rookie, you know, kind of stand out. I don't really feel like I need to go in depth about this player and I don't feel like I need to really state this, but obviously watch out for Stefan Diggs. I'll leave it at that. We know who he is. He's a great receiver. Miss him, but we did get Justin Jefferson in turn. So in the long run, I'm not that upset. Gabe Davis is our other receiver. He's big, physical, and really a lot of his game is benefited from a few deep passes. He's a really streaky player. So either he's going to be getting 100, like 80 to 100 yards, or he's going to get 33 yards on two catches. There's just really no in between. He's not going to be a guy who goes out there for five or six catches for 50 yards. He's either going to have the big play, have a lot of yards by the end of the game, or he's going to be kind of irrelevant in the pass game. And obviously having Josh Allen throw to you those deep passes is going to benefit him a lot. And if he's not playing, it's really going to be the Stephon Diggs show for them. They just made the trade for Naeem Naeem Hines. I never know how to pronounce his name. He was the former Colts running back. So they will be doing kind of a split two-back carry with uh, Devin Singletary. Those are the two backs. Uh, Obviously, the two running backs is the weakest part of the Buffalo Bills offense. And Singletary is yet to rush for a touchdown. I believe I looked it up. The Buffalo Bills, just for running back, not counting Josh Allen or whatever, the Buffalo Bills have one rushing touchdown from a running back. And that's James Cook, Dalvin Cook's brother, which is a wild stat to think about that you only have one rushing touchdown from your running back. And they probably don't really need a rush in for a touchdown when you have arguably the greatest quarterback in the NFL at this time. So reviewing just a quick brief rundown, Buffalo Bills defense is really good. I didn't think that's fooling anyone. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. Hopefully you just need a good Kirk Cousins game. You can't make mistakes against this Buffalo Bills team. If you make mistakes, you'll be playing from behind. And if you're playing from behind, that is not going to go well. Offensively, they have a lot of weapons with Knox, the tight end, Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis. But like I said, Davis is really streaky. 
If Josh Allen is a is, is a quarterback, you have to factor in Davis a lot more. If he's not, I don't really think that Davis will have much of an impact. So therefore, it's going to be a lot of Knox, a lot of Stephon Diggs, and then a uh, two two back backfield with Hines and Singletary. Predictions. Send me a tweet of your predictions at Let's Talk Vikes. You can DM me. You can tweet at me. Whatever. If Josh Allen plays, I have the Buffalo Bills winning twenty-seven to twenty. And if Case Keenum plays, I have the Vikings winning twenty-four to ten. And you might think, well, why wouldn't you just reverse the score? But I do think that if Case Keenum is the quarterback, that the Vikings are going to have more opportunities to have the ball on offense. And so that's why I have the score completely different. And the Bills, as great as they are offensively, the Vikings defense has played a lot better. So I have a lot of faith in them, actually, which is kind of weird to say, to be honest, because like we aren't used to seeing like the Minnesota Vikings have usually had good defenses. Last year, they did not. To start the year, they did not. And now they're starting to roll. And I do think it's legit. I do actually think it's it's going to stay consistent like this. The defense is coming together. They're playing with a lot more continuity, and it's impressive. It's fun to watch. Let's go, Vikings. Let's make this 8-0. I mean, sorry. Let's make this 8-1. Let's talk about the Minnesota Twins. This is the last segment of reviewing the Twins roster for 2023. Free agency did start today. But a lot of signings don't really happen until later in the offseason. Baseball is just really weird like that where basketball, you're getting the deals minutes before the actual uh, free agency window. Where baseball, there's a few signings here and there, but the major shakeups and the major moves happen weeks down the line. It's it's really weird. I've never understood baseball's offseason. But that's just how it works. So I'm not really going to be going into offseason stuff right now because I don't think the Twins are going to be making really any moves by next week. So we're just going to review the bullpen. If you missed it, I've talked about the outfield group, the infield, the catchers, the starting pitching. And this week I am reviewing the bullpen. And again, just a quick like reminder, this is just a review of what's to come in 2023 and any of the trickier situations that require a little more in-depth a little more in-depth discussion i'll specifically talk about that player in a future episode right now i just want to review every player that's on the books for 2023 and kind of what the twins should do moving forward let's just start out talking about yuan duran there's not really much to say other than wow like he's just so freaking good He's going to be one of the best relievers in baseball. In the like, you could even say that probably next year. He was already one of the better ones in baseball this year. In five seasons, we might be talking about the most electric closer in baseball. And I do think the Twins should make him the closer for a while there. I thought that Jorge Lopez should stay in that role. But it's becoming more evidently clear that Duran deserves to be in that position. I mean, he's going to be under contract until 2027. Like the Twins have five years of team control with this guy. That's impressive. That's that's not impressive. It's incredible. It's going to be exciting to watch him develop and play and pitch over these next couple of years. Last season, he finished with a 2.8 wins above replacement, a 1.86 ERA, 33.5% K rate, and a 6% walk rate. He was their best reliever, and it wasn't even close. He got the job done. 
the guy I don't I really don't know all the, what really to say because he's just such a jaw dropping player. The 103 fastball, then you throw in the splinker, like his off speed stuff, and then you then he humiliates them doing the little hop step after a, a strikeout. It's just everything about him is electric. To the way he walks, to the way he throws, everything. Like I am so excited to watch you on Duran pitch for the next five, six years, and hopefully more that I don't really know what else to say. Michael Fulmer, he was brought in for the Sawyer Gibson long trade. It was a great move. Fulmer did struggle a little bit this year, but I thought he was solid. I liked him a little more than I think a lot of people did. Well, the trade was a really good move. Like you traded Sawyer Gibson long, who is a minor league pitcher. If you're not familiar with him, he looked good in the twins high A system but he struggled heavily when he got called up to double A in double A. He was, he had like a 7.17 ERA and in high A was like high ones, low twos. So just a huge difference in making that leap to the next level. Uh, He finished with a 4.54 ERA with the Detroit Tigers minor league team. So like long-term when you really think about it, like, yeah, they brought in Fulmer because they believe they're going to contend this season didn't happen, but you moved a guy who was not going to have any impact on your team, even probably in the bullpen. Like he, if you have a seven or four or five ERA as a bullpen guy in double a, you're probably not making much of an impact in the major leagues. Fulmer is a free agent this year. I'd bring him back for a couple million, maybe three, four, five, whatever. He's going to be 30 to start the season next year. He finished with a 3.7 ERA with the Twins. Whip was 1.562, which is a little high than you like it. You want it to be a little lower than that, more towards the one area. But, I mean, again, you moved a guy who has zero future with the team for a relief pitcher who has had success in the past. And I do think that if they brought him back, that he would be able to help them out a lot more next season. Just because I do I do think that there is something to equate in the in a trade with if you're joining a team late in the season, like the chemistry's not there, everything's off, you're pitching in a new stadium every day. There's just a lot of factors that go into it. And I do think that that trade kind of, I do think that there's a mental hurdle for a lot of pitchers or players for that matter who get traded mid season. So I would bring him back for a couple million. He was solid. Wasn't great, but again, good trade in my opinion. Griffin Jacks was probably the Minnesota twins third best reliever he's he's really he's an interesting player because he has good stuff and he's either really super dominant where he will strike out the side or he's going to give up three runs in one inning he's just a really like interesting pitcher to watch because he'll go like five six games without giving up a run and then that sixth or seventh game he'll let it all loose and the other team will score three or four runs like it's not like it's not, he's a good pitcher. He has a lot of red on baseball savant, a good slider, good fastball. He increases velocity. He's under contract for until 2027. So the twins should obviously, you know, keep him on the roster for as long as they can. He's a good pitcher and the move to the bullpen has really benefited him. But again, you have to maybe help in his development of like not give, making him give up like three runs. Like if you give up one or two, you can live with that, but giving up three runs consistently every couple outings is a little worrisome and not 
it's not going to help the Twins in the long run if you're relying on him constantly to come in as your bullpen guy. Jorge Lopez. Obviously, I don't... It's weird to say that I don't have any regrets about the trade because I'm not the one who made the deal. But... I don't have any regrets about it. Like, I like the decision. You traded for a all-star closer. You made the decision. This is something we haven't seen the front office do. They're making moves that we haven't seen in the past, and I'm going to respect it. I'm going to thank them for doing it because they've listened to us. They've listened to their they've listened to the fan base. They've listened, they've watched, and they've seen what they actually need. And it was clear that they needed another high leverage arm. Um, throwing Emilio Pagan and Tyler Duffy out there consistently was not going to work long term. And they went out and did it. I mean, Jorge Lopez, 1.68 ERA, 2.41 ERA plus, and a 0.972 whip with the Baltimore Orioles. With the Minnesota Twins, 4.37 ERA, a 90 ERA plus, and a 1.62 whip. 1.632, sorry, whip with the Minnesota Twins. So, not good. He was honestly really bad. Anytime he went in, it was just really shaky. Gave up runs. Gave up walks. Like, his command was just not there. And like I said, you gave up a lot for a closer. I do think he'll bounce back. The numbers kind of suggested that he would have some regression. But Jorge Lopez, is he has the stuff to be a great pitcher. And I just believe that. And like I said, when we're talking about Michael Fulmer, a trade in season can have some mental hurdles for players. And I'm hoping that is the case and that a full off season with the organization coming back into next year, I think it has some impact. And another key part of it was Carlos Correa. And you, you're, if your goal is to re-sign Carlos Correa, which it should be, you need to go after players that Carlos Correa tells you to go after. And Jorge Lopez and Carlos Correa are friends. They're both from, uh, I believe, Puerto Rico. Probably shouldn't know that off the top of my head, but I believe I believe it's Puerto Rico. I just want to double-check that um, while I'm talking here. But Carlos Correa told the front office that they should go out and get Jorge Lopez, one of his friends. Yeah, he's from Puerto Rico. And they made the trade for him, like, that is another small factor into this decision that you have to think about. If you're going after, you're basically pleasing another MVP all-star candidate. And that I think that showed a lot to Carlos Correa that they're willing to listen. They're willing to make moves for him. And that in turn will hopefully want him to come back to Minnesota. Jorge Lopez is under contract until 2025. He's arbitration eligible for about 3 million next season. So, if he bounces back, it's an incredible value and a great trade for the Minnesota Twins. Trevor McGill, he'll be 29 next year. If it were up to me, I would not bring him back. He is arbitration eligible until 2027. That seems really weird, but I, I believe that's true. I don't think I got that wrong. I think when I read that, when I wrote it down, it was still mind-boggling to me because he is 29. Sure, he can throw 100 miles per hour. Sure, he has stuff, but he was really bad last year. Just did not have great control did not have he just did not pitch well there was a stretch where he was like playing he was pitching pretty dominantly he was he was looking like hey this guy might be an actual 
high leverage arm for them. He was had like a two, three, low one ERA for a couple weeks there. And then Trevor McGill started to settling in to his regular self of giving up runs. It's time to it's time to move on from Trevor McGill. Not much else to say. He's gonna be twenty nine. Did not pitch well at the end of the season. I don't care if he can throw one hundred. If he can't if you can't pitch consistently and, and you're not giving up and you're giving up a couple runs every outing, it's time to go. Yuvani Moran. I have absolutely zero idea why they didn't give him more time or why they consistently sent him down. It's it's like I'm still like lost for words about why they continued to he was one of their better relief pitchers and they kept thinking like hey let's just keep sending this guy back down to the minor leagues when he can literally help you out of the bullpen he's a lefty his minor league stats are just really bizarre to me a six era and a 1.63 whip whereas when he pitched in the minor leagues he had a 2.21 era a fifth of 1.78 and a whip of 1.057 era plus of 175 and a wins above replacement of 0.9. I don't get why. Maybe it's a mental thing of like, hey, back in the minors, like this is going to suck or something. I don't know. But it's really weird to see how much he... He's a really good pitcher in the majors and a really bad pitcher in the minors. But the Twins should almost definitely keep him in the bullpen because he pitched great for the Twins this year. He was dominant. And they kind of really threw him in a bunch of tough situations. And a lot of the times he got out of them. He's under team control this year. So it's almost a lock that he will be back and pitching in the Twins bullpen next season. Moving on to Emilio Pagan. This is not a player that many fans are excited to talk about or to even listen about. He is arbitration eligible for about $4 million. He will be an unrestricted free agent in 2024. He's going to be 32 next year. So the biggest question is, do you arbitration? Do you arbitration? Okay. my It's it's still early. I haven't finished my cup of coffee yet. Do you bring him back for about $4 million? I think that they shouldn't and they, they should just move on. I get that you made the trade and you, I don't know if it's a thing of like, Hey, we still believe in this guy. I don't know what it is, but I would not bring him back. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe he comes back and he pitches well, but I wouldn't bank on it because he has great stuff. He just doesn't locate it. And it's not like he doesn't locate it where he's given up like necessarily a lot of walks. He's locating it in the sense of I'm going to throw it right down the middle and I'm going to let you tee off on it. And maybe that's just a quick, quick and easy fix. I don't know. But you can't be locating things down the middle. Uh, a couple weeks, a couple months ago, I don't know when it was. It was during the twin season. Darren Wilson talked about it on the Scoop podcast of whether or not they should bring back Emilio Pogan. And he kind of just said that he thinks that they will bring him back next year because it was weird that they haven't DFA'd him or they haven't done anything to him. It was almost like he like they were the twins are 
suggesting or putting the writing on the wall like, hey, we still believe in this guy. We're going to bring him back next year. I don't know. I do agree with Wilson that I do agree with him there that it makes a lot of sense of why they haven't done it. It's just I would prefer not to watch him get hit super hard again this year. Gave up a ton of home runs. ERA was 4.43, whip of 1.365, 4.21 FIP, 30.7% K rate, and 9.5% walk rate. There's not really much else to say than Art that they should not bring Emilio Pagan, even for a couple million. You can find bullpen arms elsewhere. I really like Cole Sands. He looked, he had a stretch there in August where he was, he had like a 1.29 ERA where he was pitching really well. And then obviously he got hit with the comeback liner injured. Wasn't the same. He has, a, he had a 5.87 ERA. He's under team control. I would bring him back. I like, I like him and I want to see him get a chance next year. I don't think he's a legitimate high leverage arm, but I do think he is a guy that could pitch in the fifth, sixth inning and be your middle relief option, especially since the twins don't really have, they they haven't had a middle relief pitcher in a while. And he's a guy who can come in if a pitcher is struggling and give and eat a couple innings. He was one of their top prospects. I, I would bring him back. I'm assuming they will. I don't think that they would. I don't know why they wouldn't. He's still, you know, under team control for a while. Good stuff, nothing fantastic, but I would bring him back because I, I want to see him in that six-inning role, not in a high-leverage situation, but as a middle relief option. Cody Station and Jorge Acala, I'm just going to loop them into the same category here because they both had season-ending injuries. Cody had a, a shoulder impingement, and Alcala had the elbow inflammation the Stashak experiment feels like it's going to be over. He's arbitration eligible. Sure, they could bring him back, but I would look to bring in a different bullpen arm. Stashak is fine. He's not great. He's not terrible. He's fine. Akala, he has the talent to be a high leverage arm. I would bring him back for sure. He's arbitration eligible as well. And he looked good in those brief 2.1 innings for whatever that's worth. The stuff is there for Alcala. It's just whether or not he can stay healthy. That's been the issue. But he really has he has impressive stuff, and I really want to see him put a full season together because if that is the case and Jorge Lopez bounces back, you're going to have a, a back end of, the role of a bullpen of Alcala, Lopez, and Duran. Just three guys who can blow heat past you. I'm really looking forward to watching Alcala pitch next year. Last guy we're going to talk about, Caleb Fieldmar. Not much to say other than he was one of their best arms this season. He gave up a 3.49 ERA, which is it's impressive considering the situation that he was put in. Like, when the Twins had bases loaded, when they had guys, they put... Wow. When the Twins put four guys on base, I mean, three guys on base, two guys on base, whatever, guys in scoring position... They always looked to Caleb Fielbar, and most of the time, he got them out of those situations. For putting him in that many stressful situations, he only gave up a 3.49 ERA and got them out of a lot of messy situations. Rarely gives up the home run ball. He's arbitration eligible until 2025. He is like 34, whatever, 35. 
but he still is pitching at a high level for the Twins, and they should almost definitely bring him back. That is a no-brainer decision. Just want to say major props to Caleb Thielbar because they relied on him almost as much as Yoanderon. And if you didn't see, the Twins are rebranding their jerseys. They're also doing some stuff with Target Field. But if you are interested in kind of seeing the new, watching them showcase, and you don't want to see it on Twitter, they are doing a Twins rebrand uniform logo unveiling at Mall of America at the Rotunda on November 18th at 11.30 a.m. Central Time. Polanco, Buxton, Luis Arise, Joe Ryan, and Jose Miranda will all be there to unveil the jerseys. I think I might go to that. I honestly think I will because I think it's going to be really cool to kind of be there and watch the players, you know, unveil. I'm a, I'm a huge sucker for jersey stuff. So let's just move on to the MVP rough week and underrated of the week. If you were listening to the Vikings section, you could probably guess who two out of the three are. MVP, I have Justin Jefferson. Rough week, I have Ezra Cleveland. And underrated, I have TJ Hawkinson. Justin Jefferson, like I said, I already talked about him. 115 yards, one touchdown. Had that big reception late in the game to... It's been so long, I should have double-checked it. But I believe it was the winning drive where he had that one like 30-yard catch where it just set up everything for the Minnesota Vikings. He started the game with like 40 or 50 yards and a touchdown. Justin Jefferson is incredible. Not much else to say other than what a fantastic game. And he made it count in the beginning of the game and the end of the game. And that's where the Vikings took control of the game. And a big part of the reason they took control and they won the game was Justin Jefferson coming up big in those moments. Ezra Cleveland, rough game. He got absolutely demolished by Jonathan Allen. As I pointed out earlier, a zero pass blocking grade of zero. He had a pass blocking grade of zero. He allowed nine pressures, and he was a huge liability in that game. And TJ Hawkinson, what a fantastic trade. Nine targets, nine receptions, 70 yards. Big receptions on third down. And for as great as Justin Jefferson was, a large part of the reason Justin Jefferson had success was because TJ Hawkinson. And it's going to work the same way, vice versa. And TJ Hawkinson even said, like, I have not been guarded like that in a long time. And that's because the Vikings have a lot of weapons like Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and KJ Osborne. I think I do think that Hawkinson missed a couple reads, a couple blocks, but he learned the offense in four days. And for what he learned in four days was impressive. And at the end of the day, it is football. And he said that. But not much else to say other than like TJ Hawkinson is going to excel in this offense. And if he's missing those reads and blocks, he's probably not going to be missing those as frequently in the coming weeks, the more he becomes familiar with the Minnesota Vikings offense. And if you just think back at week two, where Irv Smith dropped that ball against the Philadelphia Eagles and would have been like a one score game, TJ Hawkinson catches that ball and it's an easy touchdown for him. And that game looks completely different with that catch. The Vikings defense is playing better. The offense will come back to life again. That week two game would be a lot different if you have, if Hawkinson catches that ball instead of Earth Smith and the Vikings defense is playing at the level they are now. But anyways, that wraps up our 32nd episode. Be sure to check out Let's Talk Minnesota Sports on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. 
You can also follow my accounts on Twitter at Let's Talk Twins, Let's Talk Wolves, Let's Talk Vikes, and Let's Talk Wild. Thank you all for listening. Cheers. Thank you.